0: Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Melbourne AWS User Group Podcast. I'm your host, Arjen Swartz, and I'm once again joined by two wonderful people, Guy Morton. Hello. And Jean-Manuel Becker.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening us again.
0: And if you've listened to the past 20 episodes, it probably won't come as a surprise that today we'll discuss the news from AWS for January of 2022, or rather anything from after reInvent to our recording today on the 28th of January. But I'm afraid we'll have to start with some sad news about the podcast itself. It turns out that Guy has accepted a role at AWS, so going forward, he won't be able to give his opinions in public, but has to toe the corporate line, (laughs) which is obviously not what this podcast is about. So, Guy, any comments on selling out your soul for money?
2: I have been assimilated. (laughs) So, joining the mothership, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Obviously, congratulations on that, Guy. Thank you. But it does mean that after today, we unfortunately will have to miss you at the podcast.
2: Yep. Oh, well, that's uh, it's life in the big city. But um, hopefully one day I'll, I'll be able to join you again. Maybe if, if, I don't know, if you ever will allow such a thing to happen or, or if AWS gets sick of me and boots me out.
0: <laughs> You're always welcome. <laughs> I'm not sure if a podcast without uh, any financial backing is a good fallback position of if you lose a job, but hey, go for it. <laughs> but let's just get started. And we'll start with finally in Sydney. We've actually got a bunch of things today. Two different instances, the R6i and C6i instances. These are the memory and compute optimized versions of the M6i, which as we all know is the Intel version of the M6G the Graviton Yep,
2: yeah. it's the third generation Intel on scalable processors the Ice Lake yeah so it's 3.5 GHz up to
1: 15% better compute price performance to compare the R5 or, or the C6 and then there is more memory as well so you can go up to uh, if I take the C for the c six thirty two extra large with 128 CPUs and 256 gig memory and for the R which is a memory optimized uh, you can go up to one terabyte memory, which is a really nice type of um, instance for a database for example. Um, 40 gig bandwidth on EBS and uh, 50 gig bandwidth on uh, networking. So very nice instances, cheaper and better performed than C5. So just a grade. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Another one uh, that's come out here is AWS Panorama. So AWS Panorama was the sort of, iot ml tool that you can use um what they call computer vision to on-premises internet protocol cameras and you can get all of those together into single place and have on device face recognition and all those things
2: so this is like a box isn't it yeah it's a, it's an appliance um,
1: who has uh, elemental and and all sorts of different uh tools in, inside it's a four thousand dollars upfront to buy the appliance because it's yours and then after it's $8.33 per month per camera feed and obviously you have a charge of S3 as well and then a, a, a processing fee per, per gigabyte of, of video but uh, you can do ML basically on-prem um, so a lot of uh, different opportunities there so before it was only US, Canada and UK uh, now it's uh, available in Sydney so which is quite quite nice.
0: Already skipping a bit ahead, by the way, but the Panorama appliance is now also available for purchase on Amazon. So you can just go there, but it's only available on amazon.com.ca, code.uk.fr.de.it .it, and .es. (laughs) Nice. I do not see a.com.au in there, so you'll have to find some other way to purchase it.
1: Well, if you buy dot com i believe you can ship it to australia if you have what is it prime <laughs> fees for limited price yeah it
0: doesn't it doesn't deliver directly right so you'd have to use like one of those forwarding things from australia post or whatever that it, you ship it to somewhere in the us and then it gets forwarded to you
1: yeah yeah it makes sense um, a, a big announcement, I think we're going to change things a little bit for Direct Connect here in Australia. So uh, now we have Next DC S2 as a new location. Uh, for Direct Connect. And we have 1 gig, 10 gig, and 100 gig connection. So in the past, we had two in Sydney. There was one in Perth, one in Canberra, one in Melbourne. Uh, now there is three in Sydney. And, uh, before you could have only one leg of 100 gig with Equinix. Um, a global switch SY6 didn't support 100 gig. Now you have NextDC. With 100 gig, and you can do obviously uh, MAC encryption as well for that link. So great to have 200 gig. And then if you look at the location of each, each of the data centers, uh, Next, this is in North Sydney now. Equinix uh, is, um, I think, in Ultimo, and then the Global Switch is uh, close to the city as well. So you have a good diversity now of, of location uh, for your Direct Connect in Sydney.
2: Cool. Do you, do, you, do you think with Melbourne opening, there'll be a drive to get more Direct Connect locations in Melbourne too? Oh, I would hope so. There would be a
1: second one um, and and maybe 100 gig. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully there, there will be a second one. They will have to have three AZs in in Melbourne one and twenty five kilometers apart. So at the moment, is next DC again uh, the the pop in in uh, Melbourne where the data center are. I think there is a next DC close to the airport in Melbourne, and there will be maybe one in in the east uh for the three AZ. Still don't know exactly the location, but um there will be some diversity there. So hopefully, there will be a, a new direct connect for for us as well. Yep, and that's all for Sydney, I think. Oh, no, we got something
2: else. Uh, the Resilience Hub.
0: Yeah, Resilience Hub. Came out this morning, but yeah, Resilience Hub is now also available in Sydney.
2: So it's a central place to
1: define, validate, and track the resilience of your application. So um, have you have you used that, Arjun?
0: No. No? Okay. I haven't had a chance to play around with it, and especially as it's, it seems to be very tied to regions.
1: Yeah. It seems to be like a compilation of different products. So you have CloudWatch, System Manager, CloudFormation, and Fault Injection Simulator all in one. And you create some RTO, RPO type of, of resilience you expect. And then the system with some AI probably in the background will tell you how much you need to improve or if you need to add instances and stuff. So um, yeah, need, need to see what it look like. But it seems to be that you're tied up with CloudFormation.
0: Mm, yeah. It also came pretty quickly because I feel like it was a reinvent announcement wasn't it
2: yeah i think it was yeah or if it wasn't reinvent it was pre-invent one of the two yeah yeah Yeah.
0: so at least it's probably then as you say it built on a lot of other things and that probably makes it easier to roll out
1: yeah yeah i mean system manager now is becoming that's such a big beast right um when you look at it and so that that's integrated now with resilience hub
2: so (laughs) even
1: a bigger beast
0: then Let's move on to serverless.
2: I think, was it, was it last month, the announcements around IPv6 support everywhere? Yep. Um, yep, so we've got now got IPv6 support for, end, for Lambda endpoints, for inbound connections as well. So you have a dual stack
1: endpoint uh, with support for IPv4, IPv6. It will be Lambda, ipsarsis AWS for, for us here in Sydney. For the region, obviously, is you know you will press the region and uh, you can make a request uh, in ipv6 only or ipv4 to your lambda on the dual stack and um yeah that's cool um more and more ipv6 this month um Last, I think we haven't was the VPC, the subnet only, IPv6. NLB. Yeah, NLB. I mean, ILB, all of that are dual stack for a long time, but now you we go deeper into the, the environment and we see later, I think, EKS as well, IPv6. So that's that's interesting. Get ready. You can bring your IPv6 to AWS now as well where before you had to use their own um, so interesting for some companies oh, when did they announce that uh, I don't recall I was watching a, a re video a couple of days ago about they were mentioning that you could bring your IPv6 to your VPCs now uh, you don't have to choose a default proposed so uh, you can start having very complex type of IPv6 between on-prem and AWS direct connect you put IPv6 now since last year or the year before so yeah it's a uh, we getting there i haven't seen to be honest in the fsi market and the bank market i'm working on mainly and, and energy and, and transport much people using ipv6 but you know in my come.
0: yeah it's probably when we got to an announcement in the in the container section that a lot of those kind of companies suddenly find it useful
2: yeah i think it's a little bit there's a little bit of of a regionality there too i think um, ipv6 is very big in places like india and china because uh, they've got so many people and all the, you know, mobile phones use IPv6 there. So there's probably a, depends on where you are, how much demand there's been historically for IPv6 support has probably been varied. So I think in countries like Australia and the US and so forth, but we probably haven't, the pressure hasn't been on to, to have that support necessarily, perhaps. I don't know. It's um, so, but I think you're right. It is, it is inevitable. It has to, it has to come. Support's coming. So,
0: it's good. Moving on then. The SAM CLI now supports local testing of CDK. Guy, is this something you have an opinion about?
1: Or? Yeah, you you were waiting for this uh, feature, right? You say, you mentioned last time um, to have be able to do local testing with CDK.
2: Yeah, I think this is just local testing, though, using the project. And um, so, it's obviously not... You're not testing... CDK, like everything you could define in a CDK project as local testing. I think it's just into integrating and then enabling you to use SAM and CDK together and st- and keep SAM's local testing capability. So while you're using it in that context.
1: It's only for Lambda function and REST API, right? Um, so in the past, you could do uh, cloud formation and some template uh, locally. Now you can have CDK as well. So that's an that's enhancement of the CLI. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, they're merging these two streams or trying to find ways of getting them to work together more compatibly. And, I mean, we're seeing that with CDK being rolled into Amplify as well. Clearly, AWS's strategy on this is, you know, they've kind of had all these different siloed products, and now they're kind of using CDK to to join them together again to, to, to you know, get some, you know, Trying to kind of, I guess, consolidate around some 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 technology for, for, for doing this stuff without losing what made each of those things individually good. They're kind of, you know, trying to unify as well, which I think is a very, very, very good thing. So, you know, obviously it's very helpful if you're, you know, if you've been using Amplify but frustrated that certain things, you know, couldn't be defined or you know it was a hassle to do certain kinds of infrastructure um now you can use cdk to to create you know whatever you want kind of thing so th- those sorts of um those sorts of changes i think are very welcome
1: yeah cool there's an announcement as well with aws lambda we can support now max patching with amazon msk kafka and, uh, Amazon MQ, Active MQ and Rabbit MQ. So you can do a mass batching of 300 seconds, 300 seconds. Sorry, that's five minutes to, to batch your, your request to Lambda to uh, execute, uh, a bit less Lambdas and, and more in, uh, in, uh, in a batch fashion and then all, or payloads of six megs. So depending on which one is the biggest, uh, your Lambda will start or not. And that was possible before with. I believe SQS and all the product, now they, they bring it to uh, the Kafka world and, and ActiveMQ as well. So that's good. And Lambda now supports ES modules, uh, top level away for Node.js 14. So I, I'm not a Java developer. Maybe you can help Guy on this one. Uh, he supports SCMA,
0: SCMA script modules. Uh, ECMAScript, I think it's usually pronounced.
1: ECMAScript to support JavaScript packages and stuff like that.
2: Yes. So this looks to me like um, it's a language feature that's being supported in Lambda, which will optimize some start times. So you're going to get uh, the, the, this packaging model is going to improve some of that, um, that sort of stuff for node-based Lambdas.
1: Yeah, and Java packages, apparently. I'm sure there's plenty out there that you can be probably reusing, uh, reusing with Node.js 14,
2: so runtime, so it's good. Don't call it Java. <laughs>
0: it's a very different language.
2: It's a very different. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I haven't I haven't delved into this uh, announcement. It does look interesting, though. Um, top level await, which is a Node.js language feature as well. So you can wait for asynchronous initialization tasks complete during the function initialization phase. So where you're using provisioned concurrency and you've kind of warmed all your lambdas, that's going to enable you to manage those in, those early ta- sort of initialization phase tasks in your in your uh, node based lambdas, um, which sounds like it would be a good thing. Again, it's going to reduce your cold start latency, and obviously, if you're using provision con- concurrency, it's gonna it's gonna help you there too.
0: Then. Containers? Yep. So as already hinted at, EKS joins Lambda in supporting IPv6.
1: So yes, with uh, uh, EKS supporting IPv6 for the pods, um, and you can assign now only IPv6, um, um, sorry, not only, but you can assign IPv6 only on the pod instead of before it, it had to be dual stack as well, it had to be four and six, so it was kind of not helping you on the limitation of IPv4, but now you can have IPv6 only for the pod, and that used the VPC CNR plugin automatically uh, from the networking stack point of view at the EC2, and then publish the uh, the IP and, and security group and all of that automatically from uh, EKS. So that's a great improvement. And like I mentioned, like I reinvented the... Uh, the um, so your VPC needs still need to be dual stack, it's IPv4 and IPv6, but now you can have subnet to our IPv6 only. Uh, obviously you need a getaway, you need DNS64, you need NAT64, all sorts of things to have the six to talk to the four. But then you can have a node inside that subnet only IPv6 with all your EKS cluster nodes. And um, basically have an infinite number of pods. Awesome. Yep.
0: Just remember though, there's still always that limitation of, I think we looked into it when they increased it, but like, 200, 250 pods per instance.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So There is a limitation of uh, uh, Kubernetes itself for the number of, of pods per node and then there is a limitation as well of what you can do depending on your network interface and how many IP you can attach to each network interface and all, all of that. Uh, to be noted as well that that's not supported on Windows. Surprise, surprise. It's only for Linux and it's available today in all region, But you need to rebuild your cluster. You cannot activate IPv4, IPv6 only in the existing cluster, you need to be rebuilt. So a bit of, uh, of work there. But you should be fine. You do that every three months anyway, right? aren't you?
0: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's Kubernetes, you have to rebuild every three months or at most every nine months.
1: Plus the plugin, plus everything, yes.
0: But speaking of the plugins, uh, it's become a bit easier again as the at least the CSI the EBS CSI driver can now be added to EKS as an add-on so you just configure it in your CloudFormation templates or however you like to do it and it will automatically get installed for you
1: Yeah and that add-on join the VPC CNI we were talking about before the core DNS and the kube proxy in the past you had to install that after the cluster was done now, as an add-on is it's uh, uh, kind of enforce sure code and everything get deployed at the same time and you have your EBS, uh, CNI, CSI, sorry, driver already there to um, attach uh, EBS to your containers. Yep.
0: Oh. And one more Kubernetes-related announcement was that the ACM Private CA Kubernetes Cert Manager plugin is now production ready. In this case, unlike with Carpenter, that means it's a 1.0 release. Yes.
1: So, so yeah, ICM private CA uh, is to improve security over the default cert manager CA from, from communities who store basically plain text in server memory, so that can be hacked off. Accessed by other containers. So with ACM private CA, your cert is outside the Kubernetes environment, and then that plugin will do the interface with uh, your private CA and request certs and install certs when it's needed, and and do the all the MTLS goodies you need to do for certain cubes installation.
0: Cool. Then on the ECS side, there's now a new simplified console experience, which is. Nice um, if you use the console. That said, based on comments in our uh, Slack, uh, it seems that this new console experience, if you create a task definition, it actually under the hood creates a CloudFormation stack for it. In a way, that's nice. On the other hand, it is very much unexpected behavior and might have some consequences that people don't expect. Like, oh, let's clean up my formation stacks and uh, delete things or running into the limits of how many cloud formation stacks you can have i think they raised that limit a while back so it's
1: to 2000 i think yeah there was 200 limit uh, a couple of years ago and i think uh, last year or maybe this year i don't know they they increased 2000 so we should have some room now but you know what when you click around here when you click around it in the ecs console and you create a new cluster or you create something you create a cloud formation as well right so there is a wizard in there and i believe they just leveraged that uh, and now they try to send Simplify the workflow of creating these tasks and presenting some default, like probably the ports or the, uh, the script to launch your containers. Etc. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. But um, CloudFormation, it's what AWS love. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> is, that why, is that why they introduced so many Terraform things at reInvent? <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yes. It's um, what's the what's the strategy? Uh, embrace and extend. Yeah, they are bringing it in, lulling into a, lulling terraform into a, a, a you know a false sense of security, and then they'll get a club and beat it to death with CDK.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, with CDK. Um, another thing. Uh, if you use ECS anywhere, you can now use uh, both Amazon Linux two as well as ECS exec which is the functionality where you can basically SSH into a container through using the AWS CLI, similar to Systems Manager, Session Manager, but for containers.
1: Um, Amazon Linux 2, uh, because I changed uh, subject, Amazon Linux 2 is, uh, I'll remind everyone, you can download Amazon Linux 2 and then create a VMDK or whatever on-prem you want say, and use that image as well. Uh, you are In the past, you couldn't do that. It was locked in, but I think probably four years ago, they they allow you to to download and and use Amazon Linux 2 on Prime. So that's a great enhancement. I think you can use uh, that version everywhere with your ECS anywhere. Mm
2: -hmm. Use it everywhere with ECS anywhere. (laughs) You should be in marketing, JM.
0: (laughs) And uh, I think the last one to quickly mention is with ECR, you can now monitor pool statistics. So I'm not quite sure why, but numbers are fun they are
2: the the statistics are always good um but you didn't mention the um, eks eks add support for customers container images for graviton
0: uh, EMR on eks yes
1: yeah that that that's coming that's coming with the EMR piece
0: uh, it is in here but yeah so we can mention it here
2: it's just that i saw it had mentioned graviton and i was confused as to why you hadn't you hadn't used the like lead with that
0: i believe it already supported but now you can customize the images instead of using um just the default ones yeah okay so it's nice but it's not like earth shattering unless you need it
2: yeah okay well, let's see if there's anything in the EC2 and VPC section that's earth-shattering. Oh, there's a new instance? I can't pronounce. Like,
0: well, we've got we've got several. We've got the HPC6A, yeah, which is for high-performance compute, and uh, A indicates that it's an AMD one. Yeah. So it's
1: 96 cores with AMD EPIC processors and 3.6 GHz and 384 gig of RAM. What a machine!
0: Yep. Uh, Speaking of what a machine, the X2IEZN, (laughs) which we completely missed to mention that it was coming uh, when it was pre-announced at reInvent, together with the X2IEDN and X2IDN. So make sure you don't confuse uh, those three completely separately sounding instance types. Yeah. Mm -mm. But yeah, this um, is a instance for memory intensive so high memory um as the x2 instances or and the x1s before them were is it um clock frequency of 4.5 gigahertz and up to 1.5 tb bytes of memory that is obviously quite a bit
1: yeah and 100 100, 100 gig network and uh 19 gig uh, ebs optimized as well as so massive machines and you can use them from 2x large with 8 vCPU up to two a uh, 48 vCPU with uh, even the metal edition. Uh, so for people who like to build stuff on
2: cloud on metal. And, and there's a nice little explainer here in one of the blog posts. You might've noticed that we're now using the I suffix in the instance type to specify that the instances are using an Intel processor. So that's where the I stands for. In the memory optimized instance family to indicate extended memory, Z, which indicates high frequency processors, and N to support high network bandwidth up to 100 gigabits per second. It all makes sense now. Perfect. Yeah. So it all makes perfect sense. You just need to understand what the code is. And um, was it, um, you know, what was the thing that we used to remember about uh, Scrooge McDonald's? Mit- gift picks or whatever <laughs> <laughs> dr mcgift picks yeah oh dear oh dear so now n- now it's it's starting to feel more like wordle now isn't it is everyone playing wordle um so now we're gonna have to uh tr- find an acronym that's got I E Z and n in it at a, a, a mnemonic that will help us um remember uh
0: i have been thinking i want to write a blog post where i explain all of these just so that I've got something to refer back to.
2: Yeah, yeah, a reference for yourself, if nothing else. Yeah, maybe a machine learning model that you can just plug <laughs> plug the name in, and uh, it'll figure it out for you.
0: Yeah, because I think the E1 is actually worse even than you think, because that uh, has different meaning based on the different instance types.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So in a memory optimized instance family, so you need to combine it with. The instance family, so you need to know, oh, this is an X2, so that's a memory, that's a high memory, a memory-optimized instance. So in this case, the E means this, but in some other case, the E means something else.
1: They have been walking through the instance, I think, to harmonize them and because the I just came last year, right? And the A now is present, and then you have the
2: Corvitan as well, the G.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: and you've got the, the A and the the A and the G. Um, Z. Z Z Z's kind of good. Like, that's easy to remember, right? High-frequency f- high processors. So you can remember that by just going zzzz, <laughs> right? That's the sound of a high-frequency processor for you.
1: But apparently, it's a, it's a bigger instance you can get in cloud. Um, it's the fastest of any cloud instance for EDA workloads. Um, so welcome, AWS.
0: Yeah, I don't know if, the, if that also means it is the fastest for other workloads. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because in the end, uh, 48 vCPUs is actually not that many.
1: Yeah, to compare the the HP6, which is 96 vCPUs, so um, yeah.
2: Maybe they're saying per per vCPU, it's the fastest. So each vCPU is the fastest VPC, vCPU of, of any cloud instance, which I think would probably make sense because it is a pretty, well, it's obviously based on a very fast processor so i guess it's
1: but i think there's a blog post you can look at the blog post as well there's some uh statistics there calculated with some um model and that's available in u.s east u.s west uh tokyo and Ireland.
0: in that blog post by the way i noticed they name one of the customers um which is uh, a company called anapurna labs that tested these instances anapurna labs when I was doing research a while back,
1: they're yeah, the one who created the, the graviton processor. Exactly for yeah, that's the company AWS bought for um, building gravitons. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I
2: didn't notice that.
0: So it's just a fun little detail. <laughs>
2: yeah, what are what are they doing? Dirtying their hands with Intel processors?
0: <laughs> uh, they need they need to know how much so the faster they have to be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>
2: know your competition. Yeah.
0: Moving on from unpronounceable instances, an announcement that is one that I am really, really happy about, and that is instance tags being available in the instance metadata service. So, um, this solves a long standing problem. In the past, as you both undoubtedly know, if you needed access to the tags of an instance, you had to give it IAM permissions to do so, and you couldn't especially in auto-scaling groups, you couldn't exactly limit those to the instance itself. So it always got quite more broad permissions than you wanted to give it. And now that's no longer needed, because now you can just use the metadata service and a simple curl call, and you get all the tags you need. That is cool. Yeah, which is a lot nicer than needing to run ADO CLI commands or other things, and should definitely help a lot.
2: And it's now available in all commercial regions. So you need to
1: enable it on the EC2 instance, right? It's not by default, so that need to be enabled. And if you change the tag, so the tag is kind of eventually consistent and it will eventually be there in the metadata and get populated, but it's not uh, out of the box. I recommend people to use the V2 of the metadata uh, with the token and not using the simple 169254, 169254. There is a risk of, obviously, uh, stealing keys and and having some uh, um, instances who are uh, getting hacked. So uh, use the V2 version. Do your coding. Get your tags through uh, the V2 with the token. There is a lot of example uh, on how to use that.
0: The other thing, um, this was true two weeks ago. Hopefully that has now changed. I know it's not changed yet for CloudFormation, but maybe for Terraform uh, because neither of those supported enabling this yet. So you had to enable it by hand or through CLI commands afterwards. Yeah, that's
1: correct, yeah.
0: Um, If you do it through the CLI or in the console, then you can enable it on boot. But otherwise, if you deploy your instances properly using infrastructure as code, it can't be automated yet as part of your templates.
1: Yeah, there was a way of going around that. You can enable at the account level and then the account will accept only v2. But that can be dangerous uh because uh some application I don't want to name some like firewall running on C2 for example still using the script a lot of V1 uh scripting. Um, and so you will have broken all the automation script for a couple of uh, of these products who get sold on the marketplace uh, so yeah be careful that you can enable and enforce V2 you can do even an SCP for that uh, but um, be careful of what uh, if you control everything that's good but otherwise you will still need to look at the scripting on V1 you can uh, we kind of digress from the news but you can look at your cloud watch there is a V1 against V2 no of uh, number of a call per day so you can see if you are still in your account couple of v1 running around and and then see the instance id and try to understand why the script sometimes it's just the boot up script and the setup script sometimes it's more during the day so uh, but to build on top of that try to use v2 and if you need tags use the v2 please
0: i was talking about just the tag functionality. Right. Okay. I didn't realize anymore that v2 didn't have that support built in. I thought that was fixed by now, but I could be wrong. Other things. Um, obviously, we're all super happy that Microsoft Windows Server instances can now boot far- faster. Yeah, but that's
1: that's rubbish. That that's not that's not true. I hate it. I hate it. I I, I had this look at this announcement. I saw. AWS announced new launch speed optimization for Microsoft Server saying that it can boot Microsoft Server 65% faster. Okay, that's cool. Why well, you don't do that for everything? Yeah, uh, but um, so you need to enable it with a flag, and it's free. But AWS is going to create some snapshots in the backend. And store this snapshot for you, waiting for you to launch this. And this snapshot are going to cost you money, um, because they're on top of your normal IMI. So if you launch, let's say five, uh, um, windows and Sons per day, then they're going to have this pre-snapshot ready to go, already sysprepped, already prepared. But I don't know what, why, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't like it. Um, the, that should be a feature for AMI, not, not something you need to pay extra for, for. Just make it faster.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Well, presumably, this is because they snapshot it after it's all been booted. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it makes sense in that way. And if you need to run the same instance constantly, like if you have an old scaling group for it, you need an AMI, you, you need an AMI for it anyway. So that extra snapshot doesn't matter.
1: No, but if, if you need five, because you choose a frequency and according to the frequency, it will create five snapshots ready to go. It's not one. Um, so because uh, the more you need, the, you have a reserve snapshot uh, time Type of
2: uh, the way I understood it, um, and but presumably, JM, if you need five snapshots to be sitting there ready to ready to go, then presumably you're running a fleet of instances that's already costing you a fair bit anyway. So it's only an incremental cost on top of what you're already you you you're already paying. So wouldn't that price wouldn't that cost sort of scale out by the sort of size of your workload anyway
1: yeah i, I mean it seems that it's just the sys prep and the ob preparation uh because you, you know, might need the robot requires something i would i mean what i enjoy is the um the fast snapshot uh, reboot uh, and so you have that pre-snapshot pre-loaded and disk optimized uh, you don't have to uh, warm up your snapshot right here is not the case it's just a snapshot so your machine will boot faster but i, I don't know I've, i found that that's a weird feature and that should be part of the ami system uh, i don't know maybe i'm wrong
2: so so what how i read it which i you know i'm not an expert on windows instances so i you know I'm not. I'm not sure whether I'm getting it wrong, but it sounded to me like it was sort of pre pre like caching some prepared stuff that's necessary when you boot Windows, right? So so it's kind of it's kind of snapshotting this this part of the boot process, this part of the part of the boot sequence, and and having those on standby. But it's not it's not a snapshot of the whole running. Instance, it's a snapshot just of the this bit that's slow to. But a
1: snapshot of EBS, I mean, uh Windows just support EBS uh, as a as a boot drive, right? um So the only thing it does is the out of the most work experience and the C-Prep will take some time when you boot the first time, and so now they get snapshotted and get ready to go. But are they? They are not joined to your domain. They are not. I mean, this is just. I don't know. I don't see that. Sorry, I'm ranting today.
2: You you don't need to be sorry. I think it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, because I mean, it'd be interesting to know. And I guess without some actual digging around and and trying it out or timing it, I mean, I found that the, the, the announcement doesn't reflect the
1: the enhancement of the product. And I would say that. If they need to do it, then do it for everyone.
2: Yeah. So to create the pre-provision snapshots, EC2 launches an instance from the Windows AMI, completes the sysprep, specializes in Windows out-of-the-box experience steps. Rebooting is required. Then it stops the instance, creates a set of reserve snapshots that are used for subsequent launches.
1: And then when you launch them, it repopulates the snapshot again,
2: and it, it keep it keep your your uh, kind of your pool of pre snapshot ready to go. Yeah, that's right. And it'll replenish that pool of snapshots that they that you might need, depending on how much how many instances you're launching, how often.
1: Yeah. I mean, like the the warm snapshot, I think it's, it's the name of the service, where you pay extra, it's quite expensive. But that makes sense because your disk is preloaded. And all all the blocks of your disk have been read. So it's a very fast boot. And that's very important, for example, for Citrix or for some people who are going to use uh, Workspace and then boot machine quite often and destroy them and recreate them because then all your disk is fast. You don't have to load them from S3. This one... I don't know. It's just a snapshot, and you have five snapshots waiting for you. What's the difference from the Um the C-Prep? And booting a Windows doesn't take much time anyway. So sixty-five percent faster—is it what? Mo- what
0: do you mean? It doesn't take much time. I've I've generally sort them like take five minutes.
2: Really? Okay. I sus—I suspect that the use case for this is probably out there. Maybe maybe it's not not one that you know we've we've necessarily got direct experience of. But but. I, uh, it feels to me like this is a bit of a halfway between what you're describing and the the full the whole um, EBS is warmed the, the whole snapshot the whole disk, and this is just a partial like cache of stuff which takes time to do, which is kind of snapshotted and stored separately. And you know, it it's it doesn't reply it doesn't give you the whole instance startup. You've still got some instance startup time from it. But but it's just cutting off a chunk of it that can be cut off and and, and sort of pre caged. It has to be cisprip, right? You cannot do that with a machine
1: which is on cisprip. That was a limitation of that part.
2: To be tested, I think, um, to see if it is useful. Yep. Well, I'll come back next month and and <laughs> and hope that you've you've tested it and you can you can give us all an update as to whether you still hate it. Or whether you love it, and of course you'll be allowed to tell us. So you know. Whereas I'll be sworn to secrecy, and uh, <laughs> I'll have to—I'll just have to say it's great, regardless of whether it is or isn't. Can open a ticket to
1: uh, get some uh, uh, product ph- improvement. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's right.
0: When we ask you, guy, you will just answer. It depends.
2: <laughs> I'll say, mmm, it's there's something coming sometime in the future. Maybe
0: we we listen to our customers. <laughs>
1: yeah. Thank you for your feedback. We will report it to the service team. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we heard that before. An <laughs> um, uh, uh, improvement on the um, keys you can authenticate to log into UEC2 instance. Um, so Amazon now support. Um, ED25519 keys so they are the elliptic curve based public keys um, so in the past you have RSR keys to be able to log into your uh, EC2 instance with SSH now you can use the ED25519
0: yeah, shorter keys we've discussed this Before, when it was possible for SSH, just plain SSH, now it's possible using EC2 instance connect.
1: Yeah, and then the serial console, yes. So it's an advancement for that. But still, by default, the uh, RSI key get created uh, on the box as well, yeah.
0: And another one is... You can now see metrics for your private link which is quite nice so you can see traffic volumes number of connections through your endpoints uh packet drops connection resets and you can see that all as if you're the endpoint as well as if you run the endpoint service um, which gives you a bit more details as well so in the past this w- As as far as I know, a bit of a black box. And it's nice to see that you can now actually see whether or not your endpoints are being used.
1: Yeah, AWS was charging you one cent per gig, I think, uh, going through this endpoint. So I'm sure they were tracking it somehow. Now they give you the access to the tracking.
0: Because tracking, uh, monitoring through your AWS bill is not the best way. Yeah,
1: no. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and, and if you don't use the endpoint, then switch it off because it costs you 30 bucks a month. So yeah, they're quite expensive.
0: DevOps? Yep, yep. Not a lot over here. So there is the, qu- uh, the standard quarterly update for Coretto, which we need to mention to make at least one of our listeners happy. Yes. <laughs> We've mentioned it. Let's move on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. We need to go deeper than that. You need to know. So, Coreto 11.0.14 and 8.3.2.2 are now available for download. And then, Amazon Coreto 17 update it's available shortly with the Opel gdk 17.
2: So, getting there. Yeah. New updates. Getting where? <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> there. <laughs> to their destination it's not a it's it, success is a journey not a destination right and they're on the journey
0: but the more interesting is the CloudWatch logs having uh organization support for cross-account subscriptions basically means that you can you could already send logs to other accounts now this makes it a lot easier because you can just you can use your organization id or organization path like i use And access policies instead of needing to mention every single account it has to go to.
1: Yeah, so that's making it much easier when you create a new account, you join that account to the OU and then automatically can forward the logs to that central place. You don't have to change the policies and uh, keeping a list of account ID and principles and stuff like that. So, uh, great improvement there for people who want to centralize the logs uh, into one account inside the orgs.
0: And then systems manager automation now lets you, you call webhooks so it can call urls to send data to like slack or any other system that happens to be useful to you for your automations to report into so obviously example as i said slack where it will post hey this automation has run and be happy about it Ew. or it failed and it includes a crying emoji <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah in the past you have to use a lambda function to do that so the lambda was calling the document and then sending you the uh, uh the webhooks hooks uh so slack now you can do everything through your uh, SSM document which is pretty cool
0: yeah
2: that's a neat feature yeah
0: security then so
2: there's a few guard duty announcements um oh there's two
0: but one of them is quite interesting which is that it uh, God Judy can now detects when EC2 instance credentials are used from a different account, Yeah, which is quite neat. So basically, going back to our earlier discussion about metadata and all that stuff, your instance credentials are the IAM role basically that is provided to your instance, and you can use the metadata to get the details for that. And so if your account is not Secure and this is one of the reasons for things like the version two of the instance metadata. If those, if that gets exfiltrated, you can use those credentials to access the same things as the instance. Not ideal. And now duty at least can detect when that is done from a different AWS account, and then based on whether or not that account is within the same organization or specifically if it is managed by the same Duty, it will adjust the level of the severity of the alert that it gives
1: yeah so in the past Guarduti was detecting if you was using this key outside AWS um, so uh, key uh, secret key and token now you uh, can detect as well if they run on ec2 outside your normal account with different IP and like Arlen said it would be a high alert if it is used outside your org or medium alert if it is uh, inside your org. Yeah, quite important guard duty. Enable it. It's it's a good product.
0: Mm. CloudTrail Lake is also new.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a managed data lake for audit and security information um, that you can use across your organization, and uh, you can archive your CloudTrail logs up to seven years, and having some set of query logs and and search quite easily, and recorded these queries uh, for future. Uh, uh Queries that you want to run on all your cloud well from one organization. So, if, for example, if you want a multi-region console logins, you can see that you, you can explore uh, the top API call by source. You can investigate user actions. You can investigate all so, sort of things uh, into that that lake. Um, there is quite a, a high cost, though. Uh, there is an ingestion cost uh, of the 2.4 dollars per gig, and then uh, analyze cost as well of zero uh, five cents cents per gig. So yeah, but you have a three day, three thirty days trial at no cost.
0: So do you only pay for the ingestion, not for the actual retention?
1: I don't know. Uh, the cost I've got is ingest and store, so that's both. So uh, the first five terabyte is $2.5. The next 20 terabyte is a dollar. And then the over 25 terabyte is 0.5 uh, dollar per gigabyte. So the store is combined in one price pricing and the analyze. Uh, so it's when you run queries and stuff like that. So I would say that probably S3 the backend or your cloud will get loaded into that lake and then they run a- Athena on top and you run SQL queries. So it's a kind of a, a, a pre can managed lake. Yeah, it's for audit and security
2: the way it is described. But uh, I found the, the storage expensive. But I don't know. Yeah. So what's the advantage of this over just Doing it yourself?
1: Oh, it's pre-done for you, and then you can save the queries. You can have them there. You don't have to manage the tables. I guess for Athena, you—it's uh, multi-region. It's one place. It's just a click away, as a you know, a bit like control tower.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, but just checking. So you only pay for the ingestion and then the storage for the seven years is free. Yeah,
1: so it's a, yeah, it's a one price thing for, for both. Yeah. So th-
0: after seven years, it might not be that expensive anymore compared to other places where you have to store it. Yeah, yeah. Even if you store it in, like, um, Blizzard or things like that. <laughs>
1: but it's, it's up to seven years, right? So uh, hopefully there's probably some delete uh, policy after that. Yeah. But it's immutable, uh, data storage. Um, so I think, I think it's a good, um, way to uh, encourage a uh, large organization to have a, a CloudTrail lake. I found the cost a bit, a bit high knowing that CloudTrail can be very verbose There might be some surprise bidding. I mean, it's a, it's a new product. Uh, we see, you know, Macy was expensive as, as well. Now it's, it's more reasonable. Maybe that's, uh, that will change.
0: Cool. What else do we want to discuss here?
1: Uh, the rotation for secret manager. So secret manager now automatically enables SSL connection when rotating database secret. So secret manager, you store a secret, you need to have a lambda function to going to do that rotation. Uh, in the past, you could do SSL, but now I do it by default. So that lambda function is going to connect to your database with SSL except for Oracle um, at the moment and uh, if you want to upgrade old lambda functions to do the rotation you need to uh, up de- upgrade them yourself or but for every new one you can enable SSL uh, automatically for uh, mySQL MariaDB, SQL server Postgres and Mongo it's just a rotation piece the lambda function yeah.
2: Yeah, I can see Firewall Manager now supports that new feature that Shield Advanced has around the automatic application layer DDoS um, feature, which given that I haven't used um, Shield Advanced before, but but I guess... those people who can afford that. It's now integrated with Firewall Manager.
1: Yeah, and Firewall Manager is a policy as well. So that's $100 a month per policy. So there, there is a bit of cost there, but for a large enterprise, that makes sense. And that will be automatically uh, level seven uh, DDoS protection with the service to come with uh, AWS engineers to monitor your environment and help you to protect DDoS. Cool. Uh, we have we have a trusted advisor working with Security Hub. So that that's weird. That looked like Trusted Advisor is inside Security Hub, but from the announcement, but this is the opposite. So Security Hub now published, um, the foundation security best practice back to Trusted Advisor. Uh, if you have Security, Security Hub enabled, so you can see your Trusted Advisor, uh, your EC2 underutilized key leaked and all the type of stuff. Plus now Security Hub uh, with the foundation security best practice in your trusted advisor uh, uh, console. So that's more integration. Good. You need the enterprise Support plan for that. Uh, data storage and processing.
0: Yep. We have a free trial for DocumentDB. Oh, yep. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's neat.
0: Uh, you can now try it for free with a one-month free trial um, on a T3 medium instance, see they can do trials with uh, free tiers with T3 instances.
1: Yes, it's true. <laughs> yeah, so you have seven seven hundred and fifty hours of T3 instance. Uh, you can still create a cluster if you want, but then you divide your hours by three, obviously, um, and that would be a multiple of it. Um, and you can use all the features during that trial: automated backup, point in time restore. Auditing all the good stuff.
2: Also, the new, the new features. So, geospatial query capabilities have been added um, this month as well. Uh, support for merge objects and reduce uh, also added to DocumentDB this month. And DocumentDB for I mean
1: for people who know there's the MongoDB comp- compatibility and in the back end it's a bit like Aurora. So that's why they can offer point-in-time restore and different auditing and stuff like that that Aurora can offer as well with, you know, storage independent from compute uh, and across region uh, replication basics and all the good stuff from Aurora now for DocumentDB. It's the same same process.
0: A couple of glue announcements as well. Yeah. Auto-scaling in preview so that is in um, glue 3.0 by the way coming so i assume that is still coming but it can scale resources up and down based on the workloads for batch and streaming jobs so it makes it easier to not provision too much all of this sounds a bit weird to me still because it's still a it's a serverless service but you need to worry about scaling?
1: Uh, yeah, um, well, in the club, you, uh, job, you have to define how much memory you needed and, and how much compute you needed. Um, and depending of that, it's a bit like Lambda if you want, where where depending on the size of the data you need to ingest and, and the manipulation you need to do, sometimes the uh, glue job was failing because you didn't have enough memory to do that in memory. So it's the same process as Lambda, but now you can do also auto-scaling So um, and it will add I don't know if it is RCU or something like that, a bit like uh, Dynamo for, for uh, having more memory and more more compute when it's needed to do the
0: job. No, I'm sure it will be useful in cases. Um,
1: another preview is the Glue interactive session on job uh, notebooks. Um, so you can have, um, you know, that automation with Glue and then seeing that inside your IDE and then be able to troubleshoot and to see what happened inside the Glue while, while Glue is doing the job. And then the good one, I think this month as well is the PI information detection inside glue. Um, that I'm sure going to use that with some customers where you not expect to see PI information coming through glue and suddenly you have some. Uh, that's probably uh, a good alert to have. Um, so now Glue can detect uh, PI information inside the, the Glue job run. So that's that's pretty cool.
2: Does it only detect it, or does it do, it actually does remediation as well? Yeah. So the no-code interface lets users include PI detection and remediation. So yeah, that'd be like blanking out credit card numbers or blanking out names and things like that, I guess.
1: Oh, that birth and stuff, yeah. That, that, that's uh, that's definitely a good addition instead of trying to do it after or, or before, so yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty nice.
1: There's a lot of announcement in EMR and that's why the container image was there. Um, I had that there. A SQL Explorer for EMR EML Studio. Um, yeah, a couple of good announcements there. I didn't to deep into that um and um yeah next one is open search couple of announcements for open search now we used to name open search it used to be Elastic search um
2: you have to give it its correct title <laughs> it's amazon open search service successor to amazon elastic search service that's its proper title <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. So now it's going to 1.1 version, uh, which is a good improvement. So it's still based on Elasticsearch 7, but they kind of rebranded and and, uh, renumbered the product and can offer some new functionality like uh, cross-cluster replication, anomaly detection on historical data, and bucket-level alerting as well. So that's the improvement of the 1.1. I don't follow the difference between the two, but maybe Elasticsearch doesn't do that yet. I don't know.
0: It probably does. As to say, it's based on Elasticsearch 7. So I assume these features are available there as well, but this is the only way to get them in aws yeah unless you run your own cluster or use Elasticsearch's SaaS um sas products
1: are uh, the order in uh, the replication for amazon elastic file system do you like that yes
0: that is interesting so this is basically you can set it up that it automatically replicates to a different region or account and i foresee that the main Reason you'd want to use this is for DR purposes, where you can make sure that your data is somewhere else as well.
1: Well, we have AWS backup, right? Uh, Where you can copy across region as well and do all of that. But probably the time to restore a big uh, EFS file system will take some time. This one will give you uh, uh, an RPO of 15 minutes. uh, And they said, the data should be replicated every minute, but um, they, they're giving you an RPO total of 15 minutes for most file system across region, which is uh, quite nice. So um, I think it, it's a more like a multi-region type of product when you want to do a, a faster recovery if you do a region failover, where restoring from backup take. Probably sometimes. So, um, so now you have Dynamo global table, you have Aurora global tables, you have uh, you know uh, the Route 53, you have EFS. They're building all the blocks to be able to build any application now uh, in multi-region mode, which I'm excited because Melbourne is coming, so we're going to be able to use that in Australia. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this replication, to say it is. A bit more of a delay than the other surfaces that you mentioned. Yeah. So this is really more for disaster recovery and not for having it run in multiple systems at the same time, in multiple regions at the same time, but still really nice to have.
1: Yeah, because the, the replica obviously is read only, right? So uh, the EFS is read really right on, on your main region and the, the, the
2: copy is, is read only. So you can't compare the other product. Yeah, yeah. It's still an active passive type. An important point to note there, too, is that replication doesn't consume your burst credits. And it doesn't count against provision throughput either.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a nice nice search from AWS there. You don't have to pay for that. So, uh, And um, the cost of that product is just the storage fee on the other side and obviously the cross-region uh, data transfer charge, uh, which is kind of internet egress fees uh, uh, and depending the region so here in Australia we're not very lucky um, I think we pay 9 cents when we have any egress toward the US but in the US they just pay 2 cents between regions so hopefully if we have Melbourne uh, maybe Melbourne to Sydney going to be 1 cents or 2 cents per gig so that's going to be super cool
2: hope so AI and ML. do you
0: have
1: anything uh, Guy on AI uh uh
2: I don't have uh, much. Kendra. You love Kendra. Yeah, yeah. Kendra's good. Kendra's great in theory. I I haven't seen it in practice, but it sounds good. A new query language for Kendra. Uh, Customers can now query Kendra using advanced query syntax and operators like or, and and not.
0: Are they really advanced? They are super advanced. Nobody who speaks English would ever guess what those mean.
2: (laughs) What those mean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Basically it will be a bit more like when you do your standard Google search, which has a lot of those same things in there. Nice thing about this, though, is it is immediately available in Sydney. Nice. Mm. Excellent. So, yeah, there was also a couple of small SageMaker things. For one, the SageMaker training now supports the new MLG5 instances. Uh, We mentioned the G5 instances last week, uh, last month, so it's nice that you can... Users here, I'd say here, but obviously it is only in North Virginia and Oregon.
1: Yeah, well, stage back on Graviton is better than Intel, what? Huh?
0: Well, it's not a Graviton, it's a G at the start. That doesn't mean Graviton. This is the GPU-based ones.
1: Ah, uh, what is a G? Oh, I'm, I'm just I'm confused. It's an AMD processor with uh, N8 NVDI.
2: So, yeah. Oh, uh, dear. Yep, <clears throat> getting to write that um, model. Yeah. Um... Speaking of models, uh, we're in the other section, aren't we? So recognition improves accuracy of content moderation for video. So they've improved the ac- accuracy of, of uh, detecting unwanted offensive images um, in, uh, in video. They've, they've um, got an improved model. Uh, reduces false positive rates um, amongst these all of the moderation categories, particularly explicit nudity. So that's comforting to know. Sure.
1: I won't upload my video to recognition then. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on to all the cool stuff. Um, We have uh, a new region in Jakarta, uh, in APAC. Uh, So it's uh, AP Southeast 3. Uh, so this is still our number for Melbourne, but uh, we're probably going to be number four.
0: Yep, which we know because Jakarta was announced quite a bit before Melbourne.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, we have to talk about the new console, don't we? We do. That was kind of a nice surprise. Yep,
0: so I suspect most people listening to this will have seen the new console home. Um, it's not exactly hard to run into, but yeah, I personally, I feel like it's a big improvement. Uh, it's widget based so it's almost like you're building a cloudwatch dashboard but by default it come it only you can't add your own widgets or anything maybe that's something for the future i don't know but at the moment uh some of the things that it includes and that's really nice is your pricing so how much have you spent this month and what is the expected cost for the month and your trusted advisor checks which are just really nice to have a quick view of um, when you open it up.
2: Yeah, because cause I think you know if you just could get a trusted advisor email once a month and you look at it and you don't really pay much attention, but when you open it, it's there on the console. It's a good a good driver, I think, probably for looking at. I've I know I've certainly looked at things uh, from trusted advisor recommendations a lot more since it's been on the on the, on the new console.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't go there, Israel. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't open that that link. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So,
2: yeah, no, I think it's really good.
0: It's also nice that you can turn things off. So you can turn off um, all the, uh, here is your um, intro to AWS, all those kind of things. There's a bunch of which is for that. And I'm sure they're great for people who just start out, but...
1: It's just getting in the way when you've been around for a while, yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the, one, the uh, one thing I was a bit disappointed in is that it doesn't seem to carry over between accounts
2: no yeah which i I guess probably makes sense because maybe you want different kind of dashboards for different kinds of accounts like you might want a different dashboard for your you know your sort of master account than than sort of your logging account
0: potentially so maybe once they have more widgets because at the moment i've just got everything disabled except for four and i'm happy to see those everywhere instead of having to click in every account, no, I don't want uh, welcome to AWS messages.
2: Yeah, well, it's probably one of those things as you said that'll get improved over time. But yeah, look, it's it's so much more utility there than, than there was before.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they'll keep improving it as well. So
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, can, you can imagine widgets for all sorts of things, really, can't you? Depending on what stuff you're running in your account in, the, in a particular account that you care about, you might want to have you know some sort of summary status of lambda functions or you know api requests or all sorts of things could potentially be things that you'd want to float up to the surface on on the console of a particular account like i said and potentially things like a logging account you might want different things um to be showing than on a uh, you know production account running the serverless app
0: probably once those kind of things are Possible, but until then, it has stopped me from trying to clean up the widgets in like client accounts when I switch between a large number of accounts each uh, per day. I don't really feel the need to modify and tweak each one of them. Yeah,
2: it might be nice to have like a cookie that you can set that says, "I want this set of, you know, this is what I want the dashboard to look like for me, the console to look like for me." On every account and that should work because it's the same it's the same domain everywhere Uh, yes so so, something like that probably would be a pretty straightforward reasonably straightforward thing to do um, that would potentially be very useful
0: because they do keep it the same if you log into the same account with different roles then it is the same yeah right okay Mm. But enough about that. In the end, it's definitely an improvement. I'm happy to see it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Anything else from this that we want to discuss? There's a
2: couple of a uh, couple of enhancements the Amazon Location Service. That's the service um, that provides mapping services. Um, there's a couple of uh, enhancements here around uh, routing and uh, making making routing requests cheaper. So if you're using Amazon Location Service, then give that. A
1: look, and there's three announcements in IoT: uh, device, device management, LoRaWAN, launch new two new features uh, to manage and monitor, and Sitewise H. Uh, Guy, you have any input on this?
2: So, the jobs one is around um, being able to automatically retry jobs. So, jobs are things where you want to push out a thing onto your devices, so you want your device to do something. Um, so, there's now a Uh, automated retry capability that means that rather than it just failing, you can automatically retry if it does. Um, The LoRaWAN announcement is around management of messages, basically, between devices in the cloud. So um, if you're using LoRaWAN, have a look at that announcement. And the SiteWise Edge announcement is around um, being able to store on the edge um, data that hasn't been able to be k- uploaded to the cloud yet. So it's, it's uh, improving the uh, strategies for storing and re-uploading the, those, uh, those messages when the internet becomes available again. So it's, if you're in a location where the internet's patchy, um, that, that could help you there.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. And with that, we've reached the end of the episode, as well as an era full of bad jokes. Before we say our farewell to Guy, I do want to thank our sponsors, our gold sponsors CMD, and our silver sponsors, CFO and Fersent. Then, thank you, JM, for being here as always.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Always fun. Thank you.
0: And finally, thank you, Guy, for livening up the podcast for nearly two years. Um, It's been a blast, and I'm sure we'll see you around in the future.
2: Wow, has it been that long? It doesn't seem that that long, but... um... Thank you, Ian and, uh, and JM for, for having me on this. And I've really enjoyed doing it. And it's been um, very educational. And uh, I've enjoyed working with you guys on it too. And don't get me started or I'll cry.
1: Likewise, likewise. That's lovely. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I'm sure we, we see each other again as soon as we can. Uh, when uh, this COVID uh, slowed down again.
0: And one place where you'll still be able to find Guy as well as the rest of us is of course at the users group Slack, which you can sign up for on our website at melp.awsug.org.au where you can also find links for everything we spoke about today. And you can also find us on Twitter as Melp. And with that, thank you for listening. And some of us will be back next month. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.